Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, as Wes said earlier, we are so grateful that you've uh, decided to join us this morning, whether you're here in person or online, we're just glad you're here. And we're in Ephesians chapter 2, so if you want to flip over there, that's where we're going to spend our time. Pastor John spent the past couple weeks giving us an introduction to the letter of Ephesians that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And as we spend time today, we get to be in one of probably some of the top 10 verses in all of Scripture to give us a better understanding of exactly who we are and what God has done for us. And I am so grateful to be able to, to share that with you today, to be as a reminder of what God's done for us. And we just celebrated that in communion, and we get to see it in real time also in Scripture as we read this morning. So we'll be in Ephesians 2 here in just a second. A couple weeks ago, I had one of the strangest days of work I've ever had. I started my day with a funeral. I got through about midway of my day, and I did a wedding. And I got to the end of my day, and I did a missions conference all in one day. And the juxtaposition of emotions I felt that day as I laid my head on my pillow was incredible because you had one family who mourned the loss of a dear loved one and, and struggling to make sense of it. You had one family who had seen God's grace poured out in their life and brought them together in, in spite of some rather tragic circumstances, and they were just grateful to be alive. And then ended the day in the missions conference, which was kind of a culmination of both, right? There will be a day. And which is why we, we want to spend time thinking about reaching the God, people with the gospel of Jesus Christ is because death comes for us all. And there will be a wedding one day that we're all a part of in heaven. And so it, it actually worked out okay, but it was one of those things that caused me to really think. And death has a way of doing that, right? We don't like to think about, about death. We don't like to talk about it. We avoid it at all costs. That's why there's a $9 billion a year industry to avoid death in the nursing home industry. Because we just don't want to even think about it. But it's really one of those things that causes us to evaluate life maybe more than anything else, and it helps us become aware of how precious time is. And Paul uses this concept of death to help us see exactly who we are apart from Christ. But in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, he says this phrase, which is so important. This is what I'm reminded every time I go to a funeral. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. The living should take this to heart, that we should think about this, that we should wrestle with it, that we should worry, not worry about it, but to think about what this is going to do to our life. And so as we think about death, we normally say, I don't want nothing to do with that. But in reality, um, chapter 1 of Ephesians ends with a declaration of who Christ is, and chapter 2 begins with who we are. And Paul gives this powerful statement of who we are apart from Christ, and he ties it back to a subject that we don't want anything to do with. And so today, as we look about our personal standing before God, we see that Jesus is trying to help us see why we need him so much. And he's trying to help us understand why this is so important. Because sin just doesn't make you bad, it makes you dead apart from Christ. And so Paul starts in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do in advance. Paul starts the first three verses, and he highlights the old life, and he says, as for you, you were dead in your sins and your transgressions. You weren't just a bad person, you were a dead person apart from Christ. This is foundational to help us understand what we've been set free from. It's, it's, it's something that has permeated our entire world. If you seek to ask how the world defines this, they would say that the reason there's evil in the world is that there are good people who do bad things. Or they'll say there's bad people who do good things. Now, those are both true. But in reality, we're dead people who need to be made alive. And dead people do dead things. They do evil things. And so Paul starts out, and he just finished in chapter 1 about this incredible truth of who Jesus Christ is. And then he tells us, he says, as for you, you were dead in your sins and your transgressions. Your sin doesn't make you bad. It makes you dead. And today I want to help you become more aware, maybe than ever before, that your sin is a problem. But the incredible truth is that Jesus Christ has come to solve that problem. As I sat there, and I've sat before at funerals, you see this idea that once there's death, they can't, they can't do anything. And that's the reality, is that apart from Jesus Christ intervening in our lives, we can do nothing. And so when you think about sin, we usually think of the consequences of sin. We think of the, the, the bad things of sin, but we don't think that apart from Christ, we're dead. And Paul says that it's our sins and our transgressions that make us dead. So apart from Christ, you're spiritually dead. Apart from Christ, you're spiritually dead. Now, as I was sitting here thinking, how can I help you understand this today? I brought a prop with me that does not have anyone in it. But I want this to serve as a reminder for the rest of our time that that's you apart from Jesus Christ. You're not a bad person. You may do bad things, but you're a dead person apart from Christ. And what did Solomon say? It's good that the living would take this to heart, both a physical death, which is absolutely what he's talking about, but our spiritual death, if we're apart from Christ, this is where we are headed, and this is where we'll stay, which is why what Jesus did is all the more important. So if this freaks you out for a minute, no one is in here, but it's a good reminder because as I've sat through a couple of funerals in the past couple of months, it's been a reminder to me that if it wasn't for God and his graciousness, I'd be there forever. We're going to talk as we move on throughout the rest of the morning about why this is so important. Here's the thing. Death is, is what we will all experience, spiritual death, apart from Christ. It's interesting. In, in Genesis chapter 3, one of the first lies that Satan ever tells is you will not surely die. 
He's been telling that lie since the garden, and he continues to tell it today, and this is how it usually fleshes itself out. They'll say, well, you're a good person, so God wouldn't let you be spiritually dead, or you've done a lot of good things, and so you wouldn't be spiritually dead. He's telling our culture, and he's telling us the same lie, and apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. And so he's been telling this lie over and over and over again. We inherited our sin from our parents, who got it from their parents, who got it from their parents, who got it from their parents, and then they got it all the way back from Adam. Now, some people push back on that and say, no, 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 you, you, you choose to sin. Well, I think we do choose to sin at times, but we are born with a sin nature. And if you don't believe that, apparently you've not had children yet. It does not take long for an infant. And I, I remember, I've, I've believed this for 20 plus years, but it became a reality 15 years ago when my sweet little girl was born. And within literally weeks, if not months, you could see this sin nature welling up inside of them. And it was expressed mainly in tantrums and tears and frustrations at that point, but then words came along later and actions came along later, and you see that. And so Paul says, you were dead in your sins and your transgressions. You were dead before, you were, before anything. And so we inherited this. I didn't have to teach my kids how to sin. And we know from Romans that the penalty for sin, Romans 6.23, is death. And he says, you're dead in your sins and your transgressions. This is why when Jesus came along and talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, what did he tell Nicodemus that needed to happen for him to inherit the kingdom of God? He said, you have to be born again. Why would you have to be born again? It's because you're spiritually dead apart from Jesus Christ. You're as good in that casket apart from Christ. And so this is so foundational to understanding where we were because when you understand where we were, it changes everything else about it. Verse 2 says this. It says, You were dead in your sins and transgressions in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Not only we were dead, but that's the way we used to live. And he's talking to people who are following Christ and reminding us we were dead people gratifying our own desires and our own wants apart from Christ. That's who you used to be. So quit living like that, is what he's saying. And he goes on to say in verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We, whether we wanted to admit it or not, we were following Satan and his influence as opposed to God and his influence, which serves as an incredible warning to you and me is that if we've been set free from that, if we've been brought from death to life in Jesus Christ, we can no longer go back to the way we used to live, which even brings up a great point of who are you allowing to influence you? I'm not saying you shouldn't have non-Christian friends. Matter of fact, you should have a lot of non-Christian friends, but those are the ones who you should not be allowing to influence your life. You should put godly people who are going to remind you of what you've been delivered from and pull you out of that old life that you keep trying to go back to. We all do it. We all try to go back to where we used to be, and Paul says, no, you were dead there. You were dead there, and you can't do anything apart from him. So instead of living by the Spirit and what God says, we do what we want. And like the rest, sin condemns us all. It says that we were by nature deserving of wrath. We know from Romans that that is our status, is that we deserve wrath. And all of us deserve that. 
But the incredible truth is that all of us also have the opportunity at the foot of the cross. We stand equal as sinners, yes, but we also get the opportunity to, to take a part of Jesus' forgiveness and apply that to our life, and therefore we're set free from our sin. We're not only set free from our sin, we're moved from spiritual death to spiritual life. So in Christ, you're made forever alive. In verses 4 and 5, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So in Christ, we're made alive. Apart from Christ, we're spiritually dead. Pretty simple, right? Pretty simple. We're dead. Apart from Christ, we're spiritually made alive. Verses 4 and 5 ought to be an incredibly encouraging verse to you because you see how much God loves you. But because of his great love for you, he made you alive with Christ when you were dead. He is the only person who could fix your sin problem. And not only did he fix it, he made you alive, something that you could never do on your own. So what we normally do as humans is we make a long list of how we want to be better. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about God's love expressed in Jesus Christ takes us from death and moves us to life. His great love read rich mercy. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So think about this for a minute. Christ died for the dead version of you. He died for the sinful version of you. He died for the worst version of you. He didn't die for some cleaned up, nice version of you. He died for you in all of your mess, in all of your pain, in all of your suffering, and he saw you. That is a love that most of us probably would not extend to anyone else. It says, but because of God's great love, he did that. And not only did he do it, he made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our sins. It's by grace you have been saved. So in Christ, you're made forever alive. Here's what should happen and sometimes doesn't, is that our awareness of where we were makes what God has done all the more extraordinary, which is why I wanted to spend so much time today, and I wanted to bring something that was probably a little too visceral at times for us, is because when our awareness of where we were, we were dead apart from Christ. Not bad, not a little off, we were dead. And when we are aware of that, it should transform our life forevermore. Our awareness of where we were should choose us to, to, cause, to let's cause us to live in worship to God. Because not only have we been moved from death to life, we have the ability now to say no to sin. When our love was cold, his love stepped in, which should lead to more worship, more gratitude, more love, more grace and mercy to others. When you see how bad you were, it's like when you do a project at home and you, you finally realize, like, it was like, oh, it's not that bad. And then you fix it up and you put it into the place that it's supposed to be and you walk by and you're telling everybody about the new door you hung or the shutters you put up or, because it was such a transformation. Our lives for all eternity will shout the transformation that Jesus Christ did in us by his grace and through our faith forever. The story is told of a motorist who killed a child on the road and so he went to jail for involuntary manslaughter, and he paid his price, and he did his time. And he gets out of jail, and he tries to reconcile with the family of the child who he killed. And they didn't, they didn't want anything to do with him, rightfully so. And they didn't extend forgiveness. 
You see, the only ones who are offended are the ones that can offer forgiveness. And those people had a choice to offer forgiveness or not. Turns out later they did. And he moved in next door to them. And they continued to have an incredible relationship. For you and for me, we have offended God by our sin. And he's the only one that can fix that. He's the only one that can offer that to us. And he offers forgiveness for all of your sin. And he offers you life instead of death forever. Because that's how much he loves you. Verse 6 goes on to say, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, if we're honest, this is one of those sections of this passage that most of the time we just kind of skip over. We're like, yeah, we were dead, and now we're alive, and grace through faith. And we're like, yeah, this is super important. And I want to help you understand this better today, because when you understand this, it makes your week uh, significantly better. He says in verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Positionally, our destination is already with him. It's our citizenship is moved from Satan and his dominion to forever with Christ. That's why Paul would come along in Colossians and he would say, since you've been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above, not things below. Since we've been raised with Christ, he has raised us up so that one day when we die, when we end up in a casket like that or an urn, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And where will you be? You'll be raised up with Christ because positionally you're already there. That's already been taken care of by grace and through faith. He not only says that we've been raised with Christ, but we've been seated as well. The work is done. And one of the things that you'll come to find about God is when he starts something, he finishes it. We be able, we're able to see that through the pages of Scripture where there was a promise of a Messiah who would come one day and he would die and he'd be raised from the dead and then he's coming back again. And so we're in the middle of that promise right now. We're in the middle of him finishing up what he started but Paul says that, and God raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Our citizenship is moved, not only from the United States, to more importantly, it's moved to the kingdom of God forever because of what Jesus Christ has done. Now, this phrase, in Christ, he says he's done all this in Christ. What does that mean? That is one of those church words we like to throw around every once in a while, like, hey, in Christ, in Christ. What does that mean? He gives an awesome example of what Christ, in Christ means in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. So if you flip back a page, you'll see what the definition of in Christ means. He says, and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He has given you the Holy Spirit for those of us who have believed the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and that has marked us as his inheritance from now until forevermore. So I don't know what happened this week in your life. Maybe your kids were a little crazy. Maybe your work was a little crazy. Maybe your family was a little crazy. But this truth that you are in Christ, that you have the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, hopefully should radically transform how you look at your week. Because you're not dead, you're alive, and not only are you alive, you have an inheritance that's forever in heaven, and sometimes we got to be reminded of that. Because we're like, oh, it's a Tuesday, and we don't really like this stuff. But in reality, your inheritance is secure. You know where you're going. And so let us live 
Like that is absolutely true. He says in Colossians, or in Philippians, Colossians, we're in Ephesians, we'll go there. Ephesians chapter one, he says that when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, a promise of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people believe, have a belief of God. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a belief in God. And so I think one of the best examples of that is that many of you came in today and you just sat in your chair. You had a belief that that chair was going to hold you. No one came in and inspected it, looked at the bolts to make sure they were in. They just came and said, that chair's held me up every other week. It's probably going to do the same. So what did you do? You seated yourself in a chair. And that belief transferred into some sort of faith. Even though it was a very small, minuscule amount of faith, you moved from belief of the chair to belief in the chair. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the belief in Jesus is that it would be something that would transform your life. You wouldn't just say he was a good man who died an untimely death, but this was the living God who came to pay the penalty for your sin and that you would build your life upon that. And so when Paul says that when you believe the gospel, that you get the Holy Spirit who marks out forevermore. And for many of you, you may know about God, but do you believe in him to the point where you'll move yourself from just belief, some sort of head knowledge, and you'll actually step out in faith and trust him to sit down? No one inspected the chairs today. You had a very small, minuscule amount of faith, but what Jesus is calling you to is the same thing is to trust in him for your salvation and to build your life around what he's calling you to do. And he says if you do that, he says in verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to kindness in us in Christ Jesus. You know, this is one of the incredible things that I hadn't really thought about this week is that we will stand for all of eternity in heaven as living monuments to God's grace. And I, I don't know if this is true because I've got nothing to back this up, but I have a feeling that part of eternity we'll be sharing stories of what God did in our life, how he moved us from death to life, how he changed us from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, and we will stand forever. And what's it say in verse 7? It says, in order that in the coming ages, so what's to come, that we might, he might show this incomparable riches of his grace expressed to his kindness in us through Jesus Christ. And then he says probably some of the most well-known verses in all of the New Testament. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's a gift. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Grace is unmerited favor. It's extended to you and me. And he says it's by grace through faith. So we recognize that God is the giver of the gift of salvation and that we are the partakers through faith or through belief which transforms into faith and that's how we're made right with God. Not by what we do, but by what he's done for us. This is foundational to understanding what Jesus has done. I love that quote from Jerry Bridges that says that our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. What is that? If you ever tried to share your faith with your friends, what do they say? I'm too bad. Or the other side of the coin is I do a lot of good. Well, Jerry and Jesus and the rest of the New Testament would say, no, you're dead and you've got to be made alive. So your baptism, your church attendance, your mom or your grandma, the fact that you're a good neighbor or that you keep the Ten Commandments, the fact that you're really generous or really anything else that you can think of won't save you. 
For it's by grace through faith you are saved. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. If we're going to boast about anything, it's got to be that we can boast in Christ. One of the great theological truths of what Jesus has done for us is what's called imputed righteousness. That when God looks at you, if you are in Christ, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But our world has this so mixed up because they think that imputed righteousness means imputed salvation. That is not what he's talking about here. We don't get salvation by what we do. We don't get it because our grandma was a great Christian. We don't get it for any other reason than the only way we get salvation is by Jesus Christ and through the gift that he offers and believing in that forever. And then he says in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is an incredible reminder. If God has known you since before the foundation of the world, which I think he has, and he knew that everything would go wrong, and he knew that he'd provide a way for Jesus to come and save us from our sins, it says that he's the hand, you are his handiwork. Back to that home project, when you do something, even if it's minuscule, like there's a sense of pride that comes from putting that storm door on yourself and not having to pay somebody. That's your handiwork. Even though it doesn't quite always work right, it's still your handiwork. God's handiwork in Christ is perfect. And he says, for it's, you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. God did the work. He did the work to move you from death to life and he's doing the work to make you into the image of his son. And so our awareness of what God's done should cause us to live more intentionally. Right, when we recognize that, that we were dead, he's made us alive, that we used to not be able to say no to sin and now we can, suddenly it should move us, because we have an awareness of what he's done, it should cause us to live more intentionally. We should live in, in such a way because he's done so much for us, not only out of gratitude, but because he's literally created you to do things for him. And so our awareness of what God's done should cause us to live more intentionally. If he can move us from death to life, he can do far more with us than we could ever imagine. And I'm afraid for many of us, myself included, is that we get so distracted by the things that happen in our week that we don't live up to the calling that he's given us. Not because we don't want to, but because we're afraid. And so we fall back to that idea that we've got to do more. We've got to be better. And if we could rest in the sufficient, finished work of Christ today and recognize that he wants to do things in us and through us, we'd be a lot better off. So as we close our time today, you know, one of the best evidences of a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ is not perfection, but it's progress, right? It's not perfection. That's not what he's coming for because we won't get there until we end up one day with him forever. So uh, the best evidence of a relationship with Jesus Christ is not perfection, it's progress. And so the question I have for you today is what kind of progress do you need to make? Because all of us have progress we need to make. Some of us maybe need to move from death to life. Maybe we've never done that before. Some of us need to start living up to the potential of being God's handiwork, not because we don't want to, but because we're afraid. Maybe God's calling you to share your faith, or maybe God's calling you to step in and lead and do something to help other people. Maybe he's calling you to be generous. I don't know what it is for you, but I can promise you that you are God's handiwork, and he prepared in advance things for you to do, and you've got to do those things. 
And so it's not perfection he's after, it's progress. Maybe you need to, in the words of our series, you need to reset your attention on the goodness and grace of God and allow that to motivate what you do. Not for better standing, but to live out more faithfully what he's called you to do. Here's the thing. In reality, all of us are headed for that box. Every single one of us. Or an urn if you don't want to be in the box. And when you end up there, it's too late. It's too late to move from death to life. It's too late to make any more progress in your relationship with Jesus. And I hope and pray that we get many, many more years together or that Jesus returns first. But in reality, when you end up there, it's too late. And so maybe today you're standing here and you think, man, I've, I've never really realized this, that I'm a dead person apart from Christ. I would encourage you to do what he's called you to do. In Romans 10, 9 through 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not because you do those things, but because God's grace is extended to you and, and that by declaring that, that's how you express your belief. And if you've never done that before, I would encourage you to do that today. But maybe for most of you here today, it's probably you've done that. And so what progress do you need to make? I'm going to give you just a few minutes, and I would encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, God, would you direct me what kind of progress I need to make in light of all that you've done for me, in light of all that you've accomplished, in light of all that I've been set free from, what would you have me do next? And I believe if you ask that in faith, he'll reveal it to you right now. It may be as simple as you need to walk across and say hello to somebody. Or it may be as huge as you need to transform the way that you're thinking. So let me just give you a few moments to, to pray away yourself, and then I'll, I'll close our time together. God, we are so grateful for what you've done on our behalf. And we recognize that apart from your grace and mercy, we don't stand a chance. But because of Jesus Christ, we've moved from death to life. And God, I pray that that would motivate us this week to live a life differently. You have done so much for us. You've done so much on our behalf. And so, God, I pray for every person in this room who's a Christian today that we would step up to the calling that you've given us, that since we've been raised with Christ, God, that we would put our minds there, that we would focus on the things that you care about and not just what we get distracted by. And God, I pray for those in this room that maybe don't have a relationship with you. And God, if they, if they want to begin a relationship with you, that they might believe, that they might believe in your death, burial, and resurrection, that they might believe that you have set them free from their sin, that they might have forgiveness. And God, that they can tell you those things right now. And so God, I pray that that would be the case as well. God, we thank you for your love for us and we thank you for this uh, awesome passage that helps us understand exactly how bad things were for us. But we're also incredibly encouraged to be reminded that we will be forever secure with you. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. In Jesus' name. 
If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.